the week before Christmas. His birthday's coming up, at least that's what they say. Although they were paying taxes when it happened, so it seems like it wasn't around now, but we're not gonna split hairs. <laughs> it was fine. No, it's great. Um, Christmas has actually been really um, a little different for me this year. Um, I don't think it's ever, the ch I, watch, I don't know if any of you guys went to go see the Chosen Christmas special thing, or if you watched it when they live streamed it. I thought it was amazing. There were mixed reviews amongst our group. Um, but um, one of the things that hit me really hard was that the world, I've always, like, the world changed at the cross. Da -da -da. Jesus changed the world at the cross. But it, it changed the day he was born, um, and that for us, hope came into the world. Um, and that that's really cool. So um, that is not a part of my sermon at all. Um, but while I got situated, it was a nice buffer. Um, we're going to be in Luke 24 today. Um, it's a little bit of a skip. We're actually going to go backwards next week with James and look at the empty tomb. But um, for this week, you guys get the road to Emmaus, which um, as I was preparing this, this is a pretty dense passage. Um, if you're new to the Bible, um, it's like, it's, it's a little rough. Um, it doesn't really make a lot of sense without some context, so I figured we'd start with that. Um, so, first and foremost, the Old Testament, throughout the entire prophets, foretells of this chosen one. He goes by many names, Ancients of Days, Emmanuel, Messiah, etc. Um, but the one who would come and redeem Israel... At the time of Jesus' birth, however, it had been 400 years almost since the last prophet. Um, so these, the people of God, the, the Israelites, had gone 400 years without hearing God's voice through a prophet. Now, if you know anything about the Israelites, they have a um, tendency, um, I guess is the word I want to use, to create their own... Um, Traditions, um, exaggerate a little bit, get distracted and off track. Um, so you can imagine at 400 years of not having a prophet, they were a little lost. Um, probably a lot of doubt was going on. Is this Messiah ever going to come? They had been conquered multiple times at this point and were currently under the rule of the Romans, who were not kind. They were tolerated there, but not very much taken advantage of, taxed out of this world. Their lands were not their own. It was a bad time. The only thing they had to hold on to was this promise of a Messiah, a person that God would send to redeem them. And finally, the last thing that I'll point out is that Jesus has just died. This person who they, probably the like, I don't know how many person they thought was this great teacher who would come and be this Messiah, wasn't. Um, that's scary. His disciples have kind of scattered. It's a rough time. And at this point, it's been three days which they point out in the passage, so I want to give a little bit of context to that. It was common Jewish belief that after three days, the soul left the body. 
And after the soul left the body, there was no bringing them back. So on this particular day, it was very scary. Hope was probably pretty hard to hold on to. With all of that context, we pick up in Luke 24, verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were on their way to a village called Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. Together, they were discussing everything that had taken place. And while they were discussing and arguing, Jesus himself came near and began to walk with them. But they were prevented from recognizing him. Then he asked them, what is this dispute that you're having with each other as you are walking? And they stopped walking and looked discouraged. The one named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened on this day? What things? He asked them. Jesus. So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, powerful in action and speech before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death. They crucified him. And we were hoping that he was the one who would redeem Israel. Besides all this, it's the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women from our group astounded us. They arrived early at the tomb, and when they didn't find his body, they came and reported that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was still alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see him. He said to them, how foolish and slow you are to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself in the scriptures. They came near the village where they were going, and he gave the impression that he was going further. But they urged him, stay with us, because it's almost evening. Now the day is almost over, so he went in to stay with them. It was as he reclined at the table with them that he took the bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him, but he disappeared from their sight. They said to each other, weren't our hearts burning within us while he was talking with us on the road and explaining the scriptures to us? That very hour, they got up and returned to Jerusalem. They found the eleven, and those with them gathered together, who said, The Lord has truly been raised and has appeared to Simon. Then they been, began to describe what had happened on the road and how he was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. It's a passage right there. <laughs> um... There's a lot here, right? First of all, what are they arguing about? I'd like to know. I would love to have been a fly on the wall for what they were arguing about. Secondly, I think the question we're all asking ourselves when we read this, why doesn't Jesus just appear to them? 
Like, he's kind of playing games throughout this passage. He's like, about what? You mean me dying and raising? That's what you're talking about? Games. He even, like, pretends that he's planning on going further. Why? Why would he do that? Why is his response so harsh? How is it that he explained himself starting with Moses? And I think a question that is really important, something that kind of gets breezed over, is what would it mean for Israel to be redeemed? We thought he would be the one to redeem us, they said. Now, I obviously wasn't there. I'm pretty young. Um, And the passage doesn't specify... But imagine they were arguing about a number of things. Was Jesus really the Messiah? Probably a point of contention at this point. Will God ever send us the Messiah? Can we trust his promises? Do you think he's really alive? If he is, where's he at? With all of these questions, it's probably an incredibly confusing time for the disciples. They were arguing, fighting amongst themselves. And this is why I suspect Jesus didn't just appear to them. He's, he just died. It's time for him to go back. He's fulfilled his purpose on this earth. And I think he really wanted to get a read for where his disciples were actually at. He didn't want the right answer that you give to the teacher. He didn't want the correct answer or the good answer or the proper answer. He wanted to hear. Where where are y'all at? What do I need to deal with before I actually go? Because this is important. They question, I mean, just look at it. I think what he finds is a little disappointing, at least to me. Jesus is way more graceful than I, though. Praise God for that. They question whether he was really the Messiah. They refer to him as just a prophet. And then they question whether or not he was, like, actually going to redeem Israel. We thought he would be the one to redeem Israel. Apparently not. And then the final evidence is they're leaving Jerusalem. They're leaving the other disciples. They've decided to go their separate ways. How foolish and slow to believe the prophets you are. (laughs) Y'all, can you imagine Jesus saying that to you? Obviously they didn't know it was Jesus, so it probably didn't hurt as much. Can you imagine a stranger saying that to you for a better point? Um, It reminds me, so you guys, I don't know how many of you guys know, but I spent the last, before I came here, I spent about a year and a half in Eastern Europe. While I was there, I got to study with a guy named Ahmed. Um, He was a Muslim guy. I've talked about him before. One of the most inspiring conversions I've ever gotten to be a part of. Um, But he grew up Muslim, traditionally, in Egypt, had moved to the Ukraine for school, um, and only talked to me because he thought I was also Middle Eastern. I am fairly racially ambiguous, And so different people assume different things. Sometimes it works to my advantage, sometimes it doesn't. Uh, In this case, it worked for me. Uh, But we ended up sitting down, 
and talking about Jesus. Eventually I convinced him to, that if he believed Jesus was a prophet according to the Quran, then he should probably look at what Jesus had to say. Um, which he agreed to. Um, and so we started studying the Bible and slowly he starts changing and committing. We have these Bible discussions once a week at this local coffee shop and some other Muslims start coming up. Um, and we start talking about Jesus being the son of God, which if you know anything about Islam, that is utter blasphemy to them. And I'm on the other side of the table. Ahmed's over here next to them, translating for them so that they can speak a little more clearly, so they can understand the actual discussion. And we get to the end of the discussion, and I hear a little rustle starting to happen over on that side of the table. Um, and so I, you know, start making my way over what's going on. And when I get over there, the sentence that I hear come out of this guy's mouth is, his name was Adnan. And he goes, where, where does it say in the Bible that Jesus is the son of God? And I, he's still studying the Bible. I feel I'm about to interject. Before I can say a word, he says, the entire Bible points to Jesus being the son of God. I was like, I didn't teach him that, but it's true. <laughs> but that's what we see happen here. Jesus goes all the way back to Moses. <laughs> and he starts teaching how it was God's plan for the beginning for the Messiah to come in this way. How it was necessary for this to have happened. How he fulfills the law and the prophet completely. I'm currently reading through the book of Hebrews and it's inspiring to see how true that that actually is how reflected Jesus is throughout the scriptures when you actually know what to look for. I imagine he explains also that Israel does not need redemption from Rome. They need redemption from themselves, from their betrayal of him and their betrayal of God. It's probably a rough conversation on that road to, to Emmaus. <laughs> Luckily they had a lot of time, seven miles. But this is a point, if I'm honest, this point of what does redemption actually look like is a point of confusion that I still see in the church today. I think sometimes we get confused at what Jesus is promising us in redemption, in salvation, in his kingdom. See, I don't think Jesus came to redeem us from hard situations, frustrating circumstances, or daily trials. He ultimately came to redeem us from our sins and to reconcile us back to him. But what can happen when we don't understand this is we can get frustrated with God. We can, our faith can start to struggle a little bit. And that's what's happening to these disciples here. Is they're not clear on what the promise actually was. See, at this point, the Messiah had become a war hero. The Messiah had become someone who was going to conquer Rome. The Messiah had become a person who was going to make the Jews the dominant kingdom. What is this? Where, where is that in the scriptures? It's not. 
And that's what Jesus sits and explains with him, with them, I think. When you go through those scriptures, that's what you start to see. And if we don't take the time to do that, I think we can find ourselves in a really rough place. I know I can. So I ask you, have you done this? Have you attached Jesus to promises that he never made? Have you attached Jesus to politics? Have you attached them to relationships? Financial security? Mental health? Have you attached them to your own agendas and plans? What you think should happen, the way you think it should go, the church building you think we should be in, the places that you think we should be, have you attached them to that? Have you attached them to your definition of justice? This is a big one for me. One of the scriptures that I have to remind myself continually, I think I've even said it already, is Job 40, verse 8. Would you question my justice to justify yourself? Have you put Jesus on your schedule? The, the Jews did that. It's been 400 years, God. <laughs> I feel like they were a lot more reasonable than me. I'm like three days in and I'm like, hey, that apartment application hasn't gotten back to me yet. <laughs> they waited 400 years. I feel like they're doing a lot better than me, but still. Do we attach them to our timing? Because that's not why he came, <laughs> just to be perfectly honest with you. And ultimately, it's not what matters the most. Because this world is not what you have to worry about being at peace with. Jesus is. Guys, this is a struggle for me every day, if I'm perfectly honest. Um, having a clear view of Jesus' promises is so crucial to having peace within your relationship with God. I mean, we see this in our relationships every day, just with each other, where you're like, I thought you said you were going to da 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 And they're like, that's not, I never agreed to that. You floated that idea out there, and I said, I'll think about it. And um, I never got back to you, and now you're frustrated, but I never said yes. We, I mean, every day. I'm the king of assumptions, y'all. Um, but it's something I'm working on. Don't worry. I recognize that it's not a good thing. Um, and I've grown. But seriously, imagine what that does in our relationship with God. See, the cool thing about all of this is that just like Jesus did, we've got them written down. If Jesus could go back through Moses, you can too. We can too. We can do it with each other. We can check each other's hearts. Please do that to me. I need it. We can do that with ourselves. Realistically, what has Jesus promised me here? It's, it will, it, I cannot harp enough how much this will change your walk with God if you decide both to not hold God accountable to things that he didn't promise and to trust God on the things that he has yeah. Yeah. 
that's where you get that peace that passes all understanding that the Bible talks about. Where you're like, no, my God said it. It's going to happen. It's powerful. So he does all this, right? He questions them. He kind of sends them for the rope-a-dope for a little bit. He teaches them. I love that he has grace to teach them again. I feel like I wouldn't have been there. I'm like, y'all, I walked with y'all for three years. I just died. The worst death that has ever been constructed in human history. And then, on top of all that, I raised and sent an angel to tell you that I raised. And we still have to have this conversation? I might not have been so graceful. Praise God, Jesus is Jesus and I'm not Jesus. Because I, I read that passage where he's like, do you not know that I can send a legion of angels? And I'm just like, do I? No. Uh, <laughs> but then he reveals himself. Oh, can you imagine being the disciples in that room? I can't. You sat there, you've listened to this man teach. You've questioned him. Called him just a prophet. Ah, surely he won't be the one to redeem Israel. It's the third day, he's dead, he's gone. And then he reveals himself like that. Their eyes are opened. Oh, to be a fly on the wall. There's probably a moment of shock, right? A moment of a little fear. <laughs> what did I just say? Play through the, the conversation really quickly. But then, an utter realization that everything just changed. This is no longer a stranger with a few good points. This is Jesus. He's alive. What? They left within the hour. They were excited, y'all. Can you imagine walking seven miles and then being so excited that you walk back seven miles? I would have been like, we're going to take a nap. It's nighttime. We're going to go to sleep. We'll go in the morning. They'll still be there. They're probably going to be asleep when we get there anyway. You know how we justify things. Anyways. But I love their response. Y'all. I love their response. To me, it's the only logical response in this situation. They go back to Jerusalem. They go back to Jerusalem. They go back to the disciples who have, Jesus has been showing out somehow. He's appeared to Simon, he's appeared to Mary, he's appeared to them, he's just poofing all over the place. Jesus had superpowers that he was not using, apparently. Um, but they all come together and they're like, yeah, Simon saw him too. We just saw him. Everything's changed, huh? So, so Luke wrote the book of Luke, obviously. But he also wrote the book of Acts. And if you keep reading Luke continuously, it, it very much flows into what begins in Acts. And they get to work, man. They start changing the world. Because when you realize why Jesus came, when you understand the reason that little baby was born, 
everything changes. Guys, yesterday I had the privilege of going and hanging out with Aaron. Um, we went on a little photography adventure, um, which I don't know if you guys have ever like had an Icon camera or played with an Icon lens, but you can play with the focus and I'm going to say perspective, but that's the wrong word. It's fine. You don't have to correct me, Aaron. Um, but essentially, you can zoom, zoom and focus. That's what it is. Thank you. <laughs> I, telepathic communication is great. Um, but you zoom in, which usually things get a little blurry when you do that. And then you have to focus it. And if one of those is off, it's actually really interesting. So you can either not get the full picture if the zoom is incorrectly, you can cut things out, or focus on something that's too small and insignificant, unimportant. But if the, the focus is off, then you can either focus on what's on the forefront or on the back or on the whole picture. And I think sometimes we have to do that with our relationship with God. We have to make sure that one, we have the full picture, but also that the focus is on what's important. I don't know if you guys have seen those cool pictures. We tried to take one. I think he probably pulled it off. I don't think I did. I'm not very good, uh, but it was fun to learn where like we had that tr the tree, it was raining yesterday. And so there was like the drop, like dripping off of the tree. And so we faded the background and just caught that he says I copied off of him, but I thought of it first. He just got there first. Um, but um, I don't know if you've ever seen those pictures and how cool they are when the focus is where it's supposed to be. But I think sometimes we miss it. Sometimes our relationship with God becomes incredibly frustrating. For me, I am the, there's the old saying, you miss the forest for the trees. Yeah. And I am that person. Um, that is my, like, the, the place where I wrestle with God the most, the place where I wrestle with my friends the most, is I can, the whole party's ruined, the cookies are burned. Like, that's me. What do you mean we don't have matching plates? Now we can't have dinner. <laughs> like, like, that's who I am, if I'm honest. Um, that's not the pasta sauce I asked for. Um, the whole dish is ruined. That's who I can be. And in these little things that are honestly insignificant to the point, I miss what's important. And if I'm honest, I do the same thing in my relationship with God. I forget that I am redeemed. That I am reconciled. That my name is written in the book of life because of Jesus coming to give perspective to Christmas, but also because of his death. I imagine that these Jews were feeling that. We're still slaves to Rome. I still have to pay these taxes tomorrow. I've sold everything to follow this man. He told them, I'm going to die, and three days later, I'm going to come back. I'm going to die, and three days later, I'm going to come back. So when three days later, there's an angel on top of an empty tomb saying he's alive, why are we still questioning this? Celebrate. But I do the same thing in my life. 
He told me he's going to come back for me and take me to heaven. I can turn to the page if you don't believe me. He says it. Why do I question it? He tells me that there's peace and there's joy and there's love in him. Why do I question it? He tells me that if I trust in him, and if I seek first the kingdom, then everything else will be taken care of. Why do I question it? Guys, I feel like Jesus sat there with these people and he said, where did I lose you? At what point did I not make myself clear as to what had to happen? Guys, their faith completely changes. They go from arguing and doubting to declaring a risen Christ. They go from leaving Jerusalem to running back. They go from hopeless to filled with hope. They go from faithless to filled with faith. Because when you have a clear view of his promises, when your faith is built on what he actually said, he never fails to fulfill it. Like, what he said he was going to do, he does. It's when we start adding in our, our mess, to be perfectly honest, that it gets confused. So I challenge you to a couple of things. First and foremost, make sure you know Jesus. Guys, I love that he decided to explain himself through the scriptures. That it wasn't some eloquent speech. That it wasn't something that only, some revelation that only Jesus had access to. But he goes back to the scriptures. Because now I can do the same thing. You can do the same thing. Get to know him, the real Jesus. I promise you that your heart will be moved. I promise you that you'll be challenged. (laughs) Your actions and your mindset will change, for better or for worse. Um, One of my favorite speakers um, used to say, when the word of God is open, you're either going to go towards the cross or away from it. You're not going to stay in the same place. I think that's very true. There's no way you'll be able to keep it to yourself. Guys, they went, read the book of Acts. (laughs) They went crazy. There's this one, you guys know it, but they get beaten and then they pray for boldness. Like what? Anyways, you can't keep it to yourself. It's one of the most faith-building part of the scriptures. Guys, This passage is hard. It's rough. It's difficult. It was hard for me to break down, if I'm honest. Um, I spent more hours than I care to admit trying to figure out what to say today. Because there's so much here to be said. But I think, just to put it in a nutshell, when you understand why Jesus came, you've got to react. Thank you guys so much.